listening to The New Paris. There's The New Paris book, and then there's Another Paris, a book that could and perhaps should be paired automatically with mine when it comes to looking at the transforming landscape of Paris and Greater Paris. I met the author, Nicolas Le Goff, several years ago when his incredibly clever and timely book was first released in French. Now it's been updated and translated into English. Nicolas includes 10 walks to discovering eastern Paris and just beyond, with starting points at familiar destinations and itineraries that lead beyond the periphery. There's contemporary architecture, community gardens, street art, coffee shops, rehabilitated spaces, and galleries. Nicolas joins me to talk about the book and this other side of Paris he hopes visitors and locals will take the time to explore. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> Good to have you here. Um, you have become a bit known for you know, sort of similarly uh, being very interested in what else is happening in Paris. How did you get to this point? What is your background uh -huh. that led you to this? So uh, if I start at the very beginning, <laughs> I, I was born in Montreuil, Montreuil oh, yeah. which is a, a suburb city next to Paris mm -hmm. on the east. But I never grew up in the Greater Paris region. I grew up in a tiny village in Brittany. But I always had in mind that I, I was born near or in Paris, something like that. So I always wanted to go to Paris for my studies or when I, when I be a grown-up. So that's the very beginning of my interest in Paris and the city and what's happening here. Mm -hmm. uh, because I really desired, desired it. Uh, and then I arrived in Paris for the end of my studies. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough to arrive in La Sorbonne. And this year, this master year, when my final year of university in Paris... Uh, I was really enthusiastic in walking around in, at the beginning, at the, in the very center of Paris, Le Quartier Latin, Saint-Germain-des-Prés, mm -hmm. but also Belleville or Mélin-Montant. So I started wandering a lot in the streets of Paris and I wanted to push all the doors, you know, in the, oh, the yeah. small streets to discover a, a new paved alley or whatever. So that I always had in mind that uh, I was really eager to discover Paris. And then I dreamt about being able one day to write about it or to give my impressions about it. Okay. But uh, that was not my job. I wasn't a journalist or an author at the very beginning. So uh, my professional life started um, by uh, traveling a lot for 10 years, promoting the French companies abroad ah, or yes. contributing to promote France toward the potential foreign investors. So I discovered a lot of of other cities all around the world, and I was really keen on doing that as well. And I always made comparison between Paris and how the other cities were functioning. Mm -hmm. Some with a lot of skyscrapers, some which had a very old uh, inner stadt or city center. And that was really interesting to make comparisons in terms of urbanism or social life or cultural propositions and these mm -hmm. kind of things. Uh, so for 10 years, I've been doing that. So I was promoting France in a way. Not only Paris, but that was part of the job. And then I moved on to uh, the city town hall, something mm -hmm. like oh, I yeah, worked for the city of Paris. Exactly, indeed. Where I was in charge of uh, innovation programs or all the public policies which aim to support innovators. And this was under Delanoe or under Hidalgo? Both. At the end of Delanoe mandate. Okay. Do, you, do you say mandate in English? His term. His term. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the few, the, the first years of the mandate of uh, okay. and Hidalgo. So I, I, I worked under both. And that was really interesting to work at that time because that, that was between 2012 and 2015. And that was, that was when a lot of new projects 
new projects had emerged or were emerging. So that was a time where a lot of uh, third places were uh, being created or incubators or uh, shared gardens. Uh, the bike policy was, you know, blossoming and mm -hmm. being, you know, uh, deployed. Uh, so th that was very thriving. And I thought that the look of foreigners and even of Parisians on Paris uh, was evolving. Uh, Paris was not uh, not only this city of, the city of light or this old lady stuck into, you know, a kind of postcard or something mm -hmm. like that with mm -hmm. only Avenue Montaigne and Macaron La Durée or <laughs> Le Louvre, which are things I love about Paris or, or being a Parisian. And too. But that's not what makes the everyday life of a Parisian. Mm -mm. So um, uh, I wanted to have a say about what, what was happening on uh, perhaps on the districts which are not right in the city center. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, the 11th district, the 20th, but also the 15th or the 18th. So uh, all these districts with, uh, which are teens, are, which are around the center and where uh, st static statistically mm -hmm. uh, the majority of Parisians are living because right. they are wider territories. And I also wanted to, to talk about what's happening outside Paris, which is still right in the center of the huge metropolis that Paris of course. is. And to make connection, connections between these districts, Paris and those districts, and what's happening next. Just outside. Outside of that. Which is, and those neighborhoods are becoming part of greater Paris. What, Indeed. What the, the, you know, the big initiative is to remove some of these barriers mm. which are important because the la périphérique has been very pejorative it's been perceived mm -hmm. in in kind of a negative light but in fact there's no reason for it to uh, in fact the périphérique in itself is not a very pleasant place to wander on or under no. or around that we we need to blame uh, yeah. the the urban urban designers yeah. who so this who is created a, that. a kind of motorway so this is uh, obviously a very strong physical boundary between par the inner Paris and the rest of the greater Paris region. But there are a lot of ways to cross it. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of paved ways or, I mean, uh, uh, gangways mm -hmm. that enable you to cross it if you're a pedestrian or, or riding a bicycle. Uh, and that was one of the tricky things I had to find is to find ways to cross this physical but mostly psychological yes. boundary. Because when you go to Pantin or to Montreuil or to, I don't know, Malakoff or Issy les that's, that's just next door. If you live in one of the districts which is next to it, you're closer to the suburb than to the city center, for example. And you can find interesting things to do on both sides of, of the periphery. And yet Parisians will always find a way to say, oh, I need my passport to go yeah. across the periphery. That used to be a common joke, but people do it less and less. Uh, well, good. I, I mean, well, that's good. Uh, that's a good start if you're observing <laughs> it less. Um, so, I mean, based on everything you say, uh, I do think we have similar ambitions with what we're both trying to do. You know, reach not only visitors, but locals, because obviously you're, you know, you are a local. Yeah. You're not originally from the heart of Paris, but you see the potential in all of these other areas. Um, why do you think so many Parisians, you know, have not or don't naturally venture to some of the places you talk about in the book? There are a lot of reasons for that. But, I mean, the one we've already talked about, the periphery in itself. Psychological yeah. barrier. And there are also a lot of preconceived ideas uh, about some territories, about some cities, or there, there is this common view or impression that nothing's happening outside Paris. Mm. But in fact, there are a lot of things happening in all the neighboring cities and even further. 
Um, there is also this thing that in big metropolises like Paris, uh, our lives are fast. We do a lot of things. We, uh, our our days are full with activities and obligations. And in the end, uh, people tend to always practice the same areas or the better habits in some specific bars and restaurants, or or because they don't have that much free time. So. In fact, when you live in a certain part of Paris, you tend to have uh, you know, a circle around that where you do your everyday life stuff. And you don't have that many opportunities to, if you're not curious enough or if you right. don't think, I want to discover other parts of my town, you don't see it as a touristic uh, destination because people won't think about where they live as something worth being visited because right. when they think about uh, holidays or destinations to widen their, uh, their ideas. They think about somewhere else in France or abroad. But I think it's the same thing in all the cities. Other cities. When you're in a big city, if you want to have leisure, perhaps you think more about going to the countryside or going abroad or mm-hmm. going out of the city. So a lot of people don't think uh, uh, of their cities as something worth being visited. Yeah, and being discovered. With naive, you know, with a naive uh, look on that yeah. or, and being ready to be surprised by your common surrounding. But I think curiosity is a big point, obviously. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes people who grew up here are the least curious. Mm. I mean, I, I, I know I, I rat on my husband quite a lot, and he's, he's <laughs> an easy target, but um, <laughs> he likes to joke that he's learned more about Paris from me because he just never, he never bothered. You know, he just wasn't... It's not even about adventure, you know. He goes to he goes to work. He would go locally, and then he would go to Fontainebleau mm. because that's where he rock climbs. Mm. But you know, that's a very specific. So he's got habits reason. And habits he's got his exactly. Own map map of Paris. Right. With his habits. Yeah, that's his personal map yeah. of, Par- of we Paris. We all have that. Yeah. Our no. Sensible maps of the city and. And I yeah. too, but at the same time, I think you and I are both more likely to want to go. You know, oh, we hear about this thing developing. Mm. We're gonna go check it out. And that's funny what you said because it's. A little bit the same for me. I, I grew up in the countryside in Brittany, so I'm, I, for a long time, I felt like an outsider, mm. uh, not like a real Parisian. But that, what's a real Parisian? Uh, There's nothing sh- like a real Parisian. I think nothing. Everybody comes from somewhere else, or, and that's the same for me. Uh, some of my friends who grew up in the Parisian suburb or in Paris, uh, after a while, they, they told me that they, I was a passeur urbain. I was the one who was, you know, give them incentive to d- discover. The, the city where they were born in. So a passeur urbain, we're going to translate that as sort of like a go-between, like an urban scout. Yes, I haven't found a translation, actually. Uh, there's, the no g- there's no precise one, but I like this idea. Yeah. This because that's what I do today, in fact. Because I right, st- so bring us up to speed. <laughs> so what are you doing today? Besides writing these, these yeah. super smart books. So uh, after having worked for 15 years in Paris uh, and also in, the, in some cultural... Um, uh, Le 104. Le 104, notamment. In, uh, sorry, I speak no, t- I love the, it. The 104, <laughs> which is an artistic shelter in the 19th um, arrondissement de Paris, mm-hmm. which I re- highly recommend you it's to great. visit. It's great, it's wonderful. Um, when I was working there, a lot of people were visiting this place because they wanted to get inspiration to create their own rehabilitated cultural places abroad. Ah. That was my job, to try and help them figure out how to conceive these things. And at that time, I wanted to write things about another Paris, what's happening in the eastern parts of Paris. So I sent a synopsis to my publisher. He said yes. So I started writing on that. And my, my, I spent a year wandering in Paris, interviewing people and taking pictures and writing that. And that was a kind of visit card, and people started to ask me to be the passeur urbain. 
So I became an independent consultant mm -hmm. uh, as a, look, something like uh, Urban Scout. Uh, that led me to organize learning expeditions for foreign, ex foreign delegations who wanted to observe the urban evolution in Paris or mm -hmm. uh, ecology or cultural venues or, or innovations in Paris. So that's what I do sometimes. Or I help, help uh, foreign companies who want to relocate in Paris or in the suburb or French institutions who, who have to move in a new district and I help them diagnose or yeah, or assess, assess the what's happening in the vicinity and how to make connections between the people who work in this institution or company and the local associations or cultural venues. So I try to be a go-between, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. an urban scout or an urban go-between, and I accompany this movement. And so I do this kind of stuff, or I work on urban projects, still as passeur urbain. Uh, I try to help people work on projects to... Um, preconceive uh, the future of some neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I come uh, as someone who knows the reality, the social reality of the district, and I help them to I give them incentives or insights about mm -hmm. how the district could evolve or what to plug in the projects mm -hmm. in terms of uh, social uh, propositions or cultural venues or physical activities, what could be part of this new... Ecosystem, essentially. Like a new... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, these new areas. Yeah. So and it's more about uh, urban planning, uh, urban, you know, uh, development. vision. Yeah, development. vision, yeah. yeah. And do you think that there's, in the years that you've been doing this, do you find that there are more people or more companies interested in the Paris region than ever before? I really think so. Because uh, the thing is, for the last few years, we've all these different kind of projects which have been developed in terms of uh, innovative places, uh, the creation of a lot of bike lanes, uh, the way the, um, the places and squares of Paris are being reinvented because there were a lot of uh, innovative architectural projects which had been launched in Paris, which are still underway, but which are turning Paris into an innovative city. And I think Paris was not perceived as such an innovative place or ecological, or, or creative place 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. And there's a move, and a lot more and more delegations or decision makers from abroad or from other cities in France want to observe some experimentations which are, which are being done in some districts or uh, to be inspired by good practices. So, so it's happening. Yeah. It's happening more and more. <laughs> and so you, you put together 10 walks, 10 itineraries, um, which is your personal favorite? Ah. Because it leads you, you know, I, I like the ones that lead to Pantin. So Pantin is, uh, you know, just north northeast, northeast of yeah. here. Um, BUTC, which is a very, very large advertising agency. They uh, moved their headquarters up there in a building called Les Magasins Généraux. Uh, and it overlooks the canal, mm -hmm. which is beautiful. Um, and so that's past La Villette. It's, you know, it's... I mean, it is in Pantin. It's mm. no longer in Paris, and yet it's right there. Mm. Because you can go there uh, along the, the canal. You can ride there. Yeah, you, you can, can ride walk all the way there, there. And you don't even notice that you're going under the peripheric. For example, th that's a very good example of how the peripheric is no longer a boundary in some parts of, mm -hmm. of the greater Paris region. And uh, but So I really like Pantin, for example, but everybody calls it the new Brooklyn or something. I think oh, it's not appropriate at no, all. And no. it's too much uh, stereotype, but um, you were asking me about my favorite uh, yeah. uh, itinerary. So the one, I mean, I, 
I, I love them all because I wrote them down, wrote them down and sure. I walked a lot and met a lot of people on all these itineraries. But the one I have to put a stress on is perhaps the one that starts in the 11th mm-hmm. district in Sharon because that's my, my hood. That's where I live. So uh, I get to know the, the shop owners uh, and all the people uh, I met over there. And it leads to Montreuil. Ah, which yeah, okay. actually w- yeah, is which where is I was born. <laughs> so that makes a connection between, you know, uh, different places which are important in my life. So, And I must admit that there are a lot of very interesting things to discover in Montreuil and also in the 20th and 11th, di- 11th district that we are crossing on, on the way. And if you were to call out a couple of, a couple of spots, I mean, I know that... Um, you know, uh, Deccan Donahue was brewed there, uh, the beer in Montreuil. Yeah. For a while, there were, you know, some, like, soap makers and, um, you know, v- very crafty kind of workshops, um, mm. but not only. There are a lot of cultural venues as well. There's a very, very cool independent cinema called the Melies. There's a very, very interesting theater, which is called the Nouveau Théâtre de Montreuil. Mm-hmm. Next door to that, there's La Marbori, which is an alternative cultural venue where you can have a brunch, but also attend any kind of concerts or happening or performances. There is also um, a lot of small shops which are really interesting. For example, there are, um, there are, there are bakers in the north of Montreuil who are, uh, who are like anarchists and who are really interesting because they are really uh, they are militants. And mm-hmm. So that, that's a very Funny place, uh, because it's not a regular baker, but next to that, there's a park, which is overlooking Paris. And that's perhaps a place I really like in Montreuil. It's called uh, Le Parc des Guilans. Okay. And that's funny because you are outside Paris, but you can, you can have a real, a real Parisian experience because you are in a park, which is not overcrowded like... You know, Most on a sunny day, them, if right. you go to another park in Paris, it can be a bit overcrowded sometimes on a Sunday afternoon. You go there, you're not alone, but you're, it's very quiet. And you've got a view all over Paris. You can see the Eiffel Tower. You can see the rocks of the Zoo of Vincennes. You can see a lot of buildings which are famous. And there's a small ganguette. A small uh, ganguette is a small restaurant or a festi- with a festive atmosphere. And, and you can have, uh, you know, um, organic food, which is really cheap, and eat there on the grass and... That's a Montreuil and Parisian experience, mm-hmm. for example. That's just yes. an example in the middle of a lot of other propositions that you can find in Montreuil. And me. what's really nice is you also mentioned how long the itinerary would take, in theory. That's only theoretical, because right. you could <laughs> well, spend, you spend 72 hours doing that, because right. if you stop in all the restaurants, bars, bookshops, museums, it can... Well, yeah, then you're <laughs> adding on. But it's nice that you do that and you have you know, a real clear map and the, and the list of addresses. So that's, you know, that's fantastic. So I guess I'm gonna have to do that, that particular walk. <laughs> um, what do you, what area do you think is the next to really develop and not develop in an over polished way, but just where do you see, you know, things happening? That's a very tricky question again, because there's this huge project which is called the greater paris express which is going to be a huge metro system uh, all uh, around the suburbs and connecting suburbs with each other not not having to go from one city to another you won't have to go to paris through paris right and that's gonna create a lot of new reachable epicenters of the city so there are a lot of uh because there is going to be something like more than 60 new underground stations in all the greater paris region so that's gonna create a lot of new hubs and that's going to connect cities which are a bit further. Uh, 
which might be considered, I don't know, uh, districts in Brooklyn or the Queens for New York. Mm -hmm. But in Paris, these cities for the moment, they are not really perceived as being part of no, Paris. No. But they are part of the metropolis. So there will be a lot of new uh, villages or hubs which are going to be mm -hmm. easily reachable. But if I just talk about today, uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, parts of the city which are, which are evolving fast. So just inside Paris, for example, the south of the 20th arrondissement, 20th district, uh, around La Rue des Vignoles, it's mm -hmm. and the square of La, Ré La Réunion, Réunion mm -hmm. Square. It's been evolving very fast and it's changing a lot uh, with a lot of pleasant places which are not that much known from the Parisians. Mm -hmm. It's easy, easily reachable and it's still quite uh, a mixed area. I mean, you've got social housing, but also small, cute, tiny houses hidden in paved streets. So that's a good mix of the essence or the quintessence of Paris. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the neighboring suburbs, uh, there is a lot of places which are evolving fast. Saint-Ouen, for example, is evolving very fast. There are new trendy hotels, but also uh, institutions which are moving there. But there are Les Puces mm -hmm. as well. Which is what most flea foreigners market. would know uh, Saint-Ouen for. But they, they would know only the flea markets. Right, just the flea market. Yeah. But now it's, you know, uh, it's evolving quite fast and there are a lot of interesting places a bit further. Mm -hmm. And even uh, interesting restaurants or cafes or hotels which are uh, blossoming over there, uh, emerging. Saint-Denis, of course, is a very interesting city because you've got a lot of old buildings, like the, the not the cathedral, but the Basilique Saint-Denis. Mm -hmm. Oh, but that's a destination, yeah, for sure. Which after Notre-Dame is the second biggest... Uh, vi uh, I mean, most The most visited? I don't know if it's the most visited. It should be, because that's where a lot of uh, kings of France are buried. But And Saint-Denis, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But a lot of Parisians don't even go to Saint-Denis to visit this Basilique. And it, and it hosts a very interesting uh, classical music festival. For, there are a lot of things happening in, in, in Saint-Denis. There's a, a very nice theater. Uh, there is a very interesting market with food from all over the world. And there are things like that. So uh, um, I think most, because I wrote about it, but almost all the neighboring cities of Paris are worth visiting. Each of them has assets. So, you know, we're talking about changes to the city. Um, And I wanted to talk about one change, which is um, of the transportation variety, which you mentioned initially. Um, you rode your bike here yeah. to the studio, uh, and you ride all over town. The ability to do that has gotten much easier in recent years, and the city keeps creating more and more dedicated bike paths. Um, I do still see tensions, though, between... Uh, drivers and electric scooter users who don't seem to be all that respectful of these paths. Uh, what do you think in terms of how the city has rolled out these, you know, made, I mean, made obviously considerable efforts to improve the situation for cyclists? Um, and with the RATP transport strike from a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago, which really paralyzed the metro mm -hmm. system and buses, I've never seen more bikers in the city at once yeah. than That was amazing. I mean, truly, I've never seen that before. Yeah. Um, what do you think? First of all, what I think is that I started riding my bicycle 13 years ago in, in Paris. So that's been more than a decade that I'm riding a bicycle in Paris. And I've really seen things evolve uh, tremendously. At the, uh, I mean, I wasn't uh, the first riding a bicycle in Paris. There were already <laughs> a lot of people doing that. But we were a minority and it, there, was n there were not that many bike lanes. And things have been evolving progressively and very fast for the recent years and now 
to, to come here, for example. Uh, I had a few meetings today, and from one, one meeting to another, I, I gained a lot of time. I saved a lot of time sure. from one point to another. And I crossed Paris in north, northwards, southwards, <laughs> eastwards today. So it's really, really practical and convenient now. Of course, always when you change things and you make a lot of works, that has an impact for a while on the life of the people who are driving cars, pedestrians, bicycles, scooters, everyone. We, I was one of the, uh, like everyone, sometimes I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm grumpy about the works because it makes a lot of noise. The construction. Jumps. Yes. Oh, it's a construction. construction well, yeah, the con- just or the road works. I mean, it's yeah. like constant. Uh, people complain and about that. And there are that. a lot of tensions. But for the, some, some of the lanes, bike lanes, which have been finished and delivered, and, and now the traffic starts to be good again, that's quite surprising to see that on the Rue de Rivoli, for example. Oh, yeah. Now we can go from Bastille to La Concorde in 15 minutes by bike, and it's a devoted lane for bicycles. The cars are driving now normally, and I don't see more or even I can see less traffic jams than, than before. before. So that's quite interesting because the more bicycles, I mean, that's my opinion, the more people are going to walk or use bicycles or alternative means of transport, uh, the less people, the less cars you will see, and perhaps the less traffic jams there will be. But we all have to respect each other because uh, even among the bicycle riders, there are a lot of people who don't respect the traffic lights. And that's more a question of, you know, uh, live together and respect of the right. others. Uh, each means of transport has its, its you know, um, reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have to learn to, to, coexist. to coexist altogether. I don't think the e-scooter riders are currently learning how to coexist with us. I don't know. To be determined, I think they're... <laughs> I'm looking for a, a diplomatic word here. They're, they're troublemakers. Uh, but anyway, so if, you know, so the transport is getting better. The city is really doing things to revive, and not just the city, but people are trying yeah. to revive different areas in and outside of the city. What do you think is still needed if you could choose something to happen, what would it be? Oh, that would be more green spaces. I oh, think. yeah, I agree. Because Paris is really dense. I mean, that's an historical reason. It's really densely built. So, oh, yeah. Uh, so the superficy of green areas per person is really, very tiny. Yeah. So that's what we like. I mean, we need that more. And I think we felt that during the heat wave yes, that indeed. we were seriously lacking enough yeah. of that shade. We're lacking freshness oh. islands as they call it i don't know what you translate that in english but oh i know the french de fraîcheur. i know i love that expression just like pockets of like gr- like shaded i don't know i mean we wouldn't say it that way i guess but just like the pockets of these you know f- fresh air i'm i'm clearly just translating from you um but it's true that um there's so much concrete in the mm. city and i remember los angeles had done I can't remember if it was temporary, if it was just in one area, but they painted the street white. Mm-hmm. And that alone brought the temperature, the road temperature mm-hmm. down. And so you think about how much dark concrete we have in the city and the lack of, of treed areas and shade. And, you know, no wonder why we were all dying during the, I mean, not literally, but it felt mm. like we were just burning up mm-hmm. during the heat wave. And so this is good, but it, it raises an interesting point because... Moving forward, if these are the kinds of weather conditions we're going to have, you know, with the climate crisis, then the city is going to need to create more spaces. Indeed, yes. Um, and I think if anybody goes to a park within Paris borders, mm. maybe Le Bouchemont has mm. a 
a good amount of shade of shaded areas. Yeah. Or the, the Parc de Belleville. Uh, but they are really used. So we need more and more of that. And that's one of the ideas to, you know, to rethink the peripheric. Some of some people tend to 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 say that on on some of the space that is that is devoted to the cars on the perfect some of it could be devoted to uh at least greeneries or um trees or mm -hmm. things like that and and with the metro uh, when the greater paris metro express is going to be ready we'll be able to reach a lot of woods and forests which are not that far from paris but we don't think about it at the moment because it's not in our habits but if there's a direct connection to such parks which are not that far from paris like by the saint cloud mm -hmm. or, or near la courneuve or i don't know fontainebleau they're going to be much more reachable and easily reachable so we'll find this greenery a bit further. So perhaps we're going to find our own habits change very <laughs> soon. Nicola, thank you so much. This book is incredible. Um, everybody can find it online. Uh, Amazon FR, so French Amazon has it currently and they can get people can get it delivered to wherever they live. If you are in Paris, you can find it at many museums, including the Palais de Tokyo, and, and you can order bookshops, it on. And bookshops. independent bookshops. Mm. Um, and it is called Another Paris, Industrial Wastelands, Contemporary Architecture, Shared Gardens, Street Art, Coffee Shops, 10 walks in the districts that are transforming the east of Paris. And the western part of Paris is going to be translated soon, I hope. Ah, okay. So stay tuned for part <laughs> two. Nicolas, thank you so much. Thank you very much to you. You can find all previous episodes of The New Paris on Apple Podcasts, World Radio Paris, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you download your shows. A bientôt. <laughs>